You are now listening to the Bishop Stortford Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We continue with our theme of what it means to choose life. As we enter this new year, as we stand on the cusp of all these things that are going to come at us through the year. And we need to have some framework in which we can make choices that bring life rather than just continuing to go with the flow. And we've looked at Moses as God speaks to him at the end of his life before they move into the land that he had promised them. And then the way in which he speaks then to Joshua and again in Joshua 1, where God himself speaks and essentially says much of the same stuff. And in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, where he says um, to choose life so that you may live. It's about choosing, and he, he, he clarifies it in, in Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16, where he says it means to love God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commands. Those are clear, explicit things. And it's a reminder that if we want life, we need to understand that God is actually in control. He's the one who directs our footsteps, that Jesus is actually Lord and not us. And that's really the fundamental thing that lies behind this, is that we choose life, we choose what God sets before us. We, we love him, we walk in his ways, we keep his commands, because that's what gives us life, because that's how God has set the world up to look. But today I want to look at three specific things that uh, I think are underlying all the stuff we're talking about. And they are in many ways quite counterintuitive. And if you had to say they are the key to success or the key to life, the key in following Jesus, then that's perhaps a, a big thing to say. But it's important. And I think that the three things are, and I've named them resilience, the willingness to change, and vulnerability. Now, we have other words for those things. Resilience is about the capacity to let go and to move forward. Um, the willingness to change is a word that we use, repentance. And then vulnerability, Paul uses powerlessness or weakness. But enough of that. More of that as we go along. And so here we are. And it's, this, this applies not just in terms of the grand scheme of a year or the rest of our lives, but it, it applies in the daily decisions, the beginning of each day, that we have, if we're going to be resilient, the capacity to withstand and recover from stuff that has happened to us in our past. And there's so much written about the psychology of these kind of things. But resilience is the capacity to spring back into shape after we've been knocked over or beaten down. And over the years, I've talked about the capacity to stand up one more time than we are knocked down. And I suppose, in some ways, this first segment on resilience is about being willing to take up our cross daily. And I want to give you um, just a brief example uh, it's a horticultural one, and there's a tree, you know, there's a tree, and it, it's native to southern Florida, the Caribbean, and the South and Central America region. It's called a copperwood. But it's an area where there are uh, frequent hurricanes. And some of the trees in that region, like those tall palm trees, are flexible, bendable, and that's how they survive. 
But there's another way, and this copper wood is a most remarkable tree. In colloquial terms, it's called a, a gumbo limbo. I don't know why, but it's a fairly big tree. It grows to 8 or 15 meters tall. But instead of being flexible, what it does when there's a, a, um, a hurricane is that it sheds those branches that are vulnerable or not necessary. Uh, it, they break off, in other words. And then it recuperates very quickly after the storm. In essence, what it's doing is it's traveling light. It's letting go of all that's non-essential so that it can focus on life. And I think that's such a good picture, that we let go of what is non-essential for life. Does this thing give life? If so, then hold on to it. If not, then let go. Because there will be um, always hurricanes that come at us. Life is difficult. And I think in some ways this was a little bit like uh, Saul or Paul. When you think of him, he, he was hot and fighting for, in other words, he was zealous for his ideals, the things that he saw in terms of Judaism that were important. And he was incensed by what he saw as the deformation of Jesus' disciples and what they were bringing about. And he was determined to crush them. He was breathing out threats. He was overseeing the, um, the, the um, eradication, if you like, of the disciples of Jesus. He was filled with this utter certainty and clarity that he was right. And then all of a sudden, he's confronted with the reality of the presence of God. And it was this cataclysmic thing that inverted all his priorities and really knocked him off his horse. Just a little aside here, sometimes the things that knock us from our horse are not negative. They're not bad things. They're actually sometimes really powerfully good things. But it's what we do with it. How do we cope with it? How do we adjust to this? How, do we let go of the things that in the past had seemed to us to be important, but are no longer in the context of what we now know? And so he was thrown to the ground. He was blinded and everything changed. He no longer was living for an idea, but for the person he now recognized as the Lord. And although the switch was sudden, it took quite a bit of time for him to work through this. And he accepted help. He allowed himself to be purified. He went on an extended uh, sort of sabbatical period into Arabia. And 14 years later, he began to speak to some of the apostles. It took him time, but he let go of the things that were so powerful for him in the past, but no longer gave him life. And in the process, um, a new identity was for, forged for him. And he went from being Saul to being Paul. Now, that's a very um, dramatic, if you like, example of this thing. But in a lesser or greater extent, that's the kind of thing that happens to us when, when our lives are shaken, when we're knocked off from our horse, when something happens and we realize that those things we've held on to in the past, uh, we might need to let go of now in order, not that they may necessarily be bad, but that in order that we may experience life, the better things that lie in front of us, to let go of the non-essential so that we can focus on life. That's the first thing. That's resilience.
Now, the second thing is a word that we know as metanoia. It's the word, Greek word for repentance. It's the willingness or the capacity to change our minds. I find it interesting that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, when John the Baptist begins to speak about and announce the fact that Jesus is coming as he is the herald of the coming Messiah, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Change your minds, guys. Things are about to change. Things are about to happen. You need to be willing and supple to be flexible that maybe you haven't got everything absolutely in place. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the first words that Mark records of Jesus saying is, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. That's Mark 1.15. He's saying the time's come, kingdom of heaven is near, what do you need to do? Change your mind, turn around, look in the other direction, be open to change. Um, to be honest, we are enormous creatures of habit and especially if we've ingrained something in our lives we've learned to live with it we've done it for years that's not the way we've always done it kind of feeling we're not prone to change we're not open often to the capacity to change cardinal newman john henry newman in the 19th century here's a quote he says here below is to change and to be perfect or mature is to have changed often it, it seems self-evident, but that's the truth. If we are going to grow up, if we're going to mature, we have to change frequently. We have to see things differently. As I age, I've had to look at my body and realize that it's different to what it was at 20 or 30 or 40. Uh, just one example, but it's, it's a normal function of growing and maturing is to change, to be flexible, adaptable, willing to change our mind, how we see things, how we do things. And the, the gospel, when we have it in Matthew and Mark and Luke, these are the words that are right up at the beginning. Repent, metanoia, be willing to change, to turn around, to change your mind. And the gospel starts by affirming that right up front. But if we want to grow, if we want to experience this life that God is about to unleash, then we need to be willing to reevaluate and to change where necessary. If you don't grow, you don't change. If you don't change, you don't grow. And you can end up at 70 looking the same as you were at 17, and that would be a sad thing. And if you think of, uh, we, we looked at, Saul or Paul as, as the example of resilience. But if you look at this thing of turning and changing, the classic example always is David in Psalm 51, where the prophet comes to him and tells him what he's done. And he's mortified and he repents. He turns around. He changes. He changes everything. And so you have him um, in this moment, this powerful moment of rapture and crisis where uh, he tried to resolve his adultery with Bathsheba, this appalling thing that he did that came out of that, was that he ordered the death of Uriah. And he, he it gets further and further down the thing until suddenly he realizes he's confronted with the fact that he's known 
and that God is aware of what's going on. And he repents. He, he turns around. And you see in Psalm 51 this incredible outpouring of his vulnerability and his anguish before God. So resilience, the capacity to let go of the non-essentials to focus on life. And then repentance or this capacity to change our mind if we are going to mature and develop and grow. I think are the first two things if we're going to choose life. The third thing is perhaps even more counterintuitive. And it's the concept of powerlessness or weakness or vulnerability. And um, powerlessness is the place of beginning. It's, it's the beginning place of change for all people who follow Jesus. Paul, after all his life of, uh, and he was certainly a, a significant person in, in many respects, but he comes to the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, and he's talking about having spoken to God or pleaded three times for him to take away this thorn in the flesh. This thing that had, had bugged him for so long, this thing that had created so much anguish for him for, for such a long time. And in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he says, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is counterintuitive, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And there are many other passages that we could look at. But it seems like God has almost hidden wholeness or holiness in a secret place where only those who are humble are able to find it. Those who are willing to be vulnerable or acknowledge their own weakness or powerlessness. It's interesting and this is just an aside, that Jesus seems always to start with the people who are in need or vulnerable or outcast or marginal, because they're already aware of the fact that, that they are not in control, not in charge. And I think it's an absolute necessary starting point for us if we are going to choose life and experience the fullness, abundance of life in Christ. This powerlessness, this vulnerability, this humility is exactly what it's about. The other side of the coin, I suppose, is um, there's that incredible passage in Mark chapter 10 where this rich man comes and runs up to Jesus, falls on his knees and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? And there's this interaction with Jesus and this man. And... Um, he said, I've kept all these commandments. And then he says to him, go and sell everything that you have to, and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I think what Jesus is saying to him because of what follows is this, that the rich and powerful know how things work. After all, that's why they're rich and powerful. And it's harder for the rich man to enter into the kingdom. So he goes on to say, the, the disciples were amazed, it says, in verse 24, it says, uh, Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. H here's the thing. When we are self-sufficient, when we are in control, 
when we know how things work, when we are, because of the successes that we've had and the power that we have with our wealth, that we are able to uh, insulate and isolate ourselves, we actually are in control, essentially, and we are Lord and not Jesus. And we have to learn what it is to be humble, to let go, to be resilient, to be vulnerable, to be willing to change, to repent. And that's why I say this is all counterintuitive, because we have to almost always take the stance of being um, in that dangerous position of being at God's mercy in everything that we do. That's the moment where life actually is, is the dynamic of life and the excitement of actual life takes place. Choose life. That's what God says to Moses, and um, choose life and you will live. And really what he was saying to Moses is, if you love me with all your heart, basically, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you walk in my ways, in other words, you keep my commandments, that's the, that's the way to life because you are again saying, God, you are in control. I am at your mercy in that sense. And so letting go of all those things that are not essential to life, the unnecessary things, being resilient, that you can come back after the things that have happened in your life that are difficult, the willingness to change, to repent, the sense of vulnerability, weakness, powerless, humi humility. Those are the things, the counterintuitive things that put us in a place where we can begin again to experience life and to choose life for what happens each day, let alone for the rest of this year. So the question really, as we come in to look at this on Sunday will be, why do I find it so difficult? Why do we find it so difficult to let go of those things that are unnecessary? Why do we find it so difficult to change our minds or to change the way we do things? Why do we find it so difficult to be vulnerable or humble? God bless. We will see you at the Chateau Cafe on Sunday morning.